Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Thanks for checking out the Pint Glass Football Podcast, where we like to drink beer, watch football, and talk all things NFL and college football. Be sure to subscribe and follow on Instagram and Twitter at PGF Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Fowler, and on today's episode, we have a special guest joining us, Roger Hoover, the pre- and post-game digital host for the Crimson Tide Sports Network. Follow him on Twitter at Roger underscore Hoover. Really excited to talk Alabama football with him today, and joining me as always, my co-host, Chad Smith. What is up, Chad? Hey, Brad. How are you, friend? Roger, thank you for coming on. This, guys, is what we've been talking about leading up with college football, NFL. This is SEC. This is SEC West. This is Crimson Tide. This is Roll Tide. This is Bama. I've known Roger for a long time. He's a great friend of the family, and he is just an amazing young man, up and coming, and no doubt one day he's going to be the voice of the Vols or the voice of the Crimson Tide. That's been his goal, and I know nothing will get in his way, and Roger, we are honored to have you on the day to talk Bama football. We know our listeners in PGF Nation are going to eat this up, and so we thank you for coming on. And Brad, I'm going to turn it back over to you this time, and you're going to fire away with the first question because it's a great one. Yeah, Roger. So every year, there's a handful of regular season games in college football that can really determine the path to the college football playoff. One of those types of games this season should be Georgia at Alabama. The Bulldogs haven't played in Bryant-Denny Stadium since 2007, which also happens to be their last victory over the Crimson Tide. Now, both teams have new quarterbacks this year, and former Alabama strength coach Scott Cochran is going to be on the sideline for the Bulldogs, adding a little spice to this rivalry. Now, we know every game is important, but for two teams that should contend for the college football playoff, how big is this matchup? Well, it's certainly huge. I think it'll be the center of the college football season, especially the SEC going to a conference-only schedule. You just know this is going to be one of those matchups. And the funny thing is, we had it all ready to go for September 19th in Tuscaloosa, and now we're not really sure when this matchup's going to be played because the season won't start until September 26th. And as of August 3rd, when we're recording, we still haven't heard a definite date for this game or what it could look like in terms of being early in the season, later in the season. I think a lot of people expect it to be a preview of the SEC championship game. But for me, I think it's going to be tough for Georgia if they don't have their quarterback situation figured out like they'd hope to and they are not able to distribute the ball to some of their really good playmakers. I love their wide receivers heading into the year. I think it's going to be a challenge for Georgia to get back to Atlanta for the SEC championship game on December 19th if they drop this game against Alabama. And also, they have two really tough in-division games against Georgia and an up-and-coming coming Tennessee program. So I think it is certainly a huge matchup. Alabama fans are ready to welcome back Georgia. Like you mentioned, no wins for the Bulldogs since 2007 at Bryant-Denny Stadium. And everybody at Alabama still talks about second and 26 to a tongue of Iloa to Devontae Smith for a walk-off national championship winner in Georgia's backyard in Atlanta. So there's going to be a lot on the line. So that's going to be certainly a fun matchup, but one I feel good about for the Crimson Tide, just with the strength of Alabama being its defense going up against some quarterbacks who are talented, but not that experience with Georgia. They didn't get any spring practice.
practice. And then who knows what's going to happen with the August and September practice leading up to the season. So that's a matchup certainly to keep an eye on. And Guys, I'm just thrilled to be on this podcast with you. I, I feel like it's a repeat of some of my high school years uh, back in Kingsport, Tennessee, seeing Chad Smith maybe on a Wednesday or a Sunday and talking college football again. So this is a really fun podcast to be on. I appreciate you guys having me here. Absolutely, Roger. And you bring up the second and 26, and I'm, I'm telling you, there are hundreds and hundreds and thousands of Georgia fans that are still really salty about that. My next door neighbors both graduated from Georgia, and occasionally I would throw that out, and they'd be like, just, I don't want to talk about it. I mean, it's just like, cut it off. Don't even want to have any discussion about it because, I mean, that was painful. I think Georgia's got a great program, and you made a great point. This is an early test for both schools. It may not be on that September 19th now. Obviously, it's going to still be early in the season, but you kind of spoke about the quarterback situation, and so this leads into my first question. I think this is going to be that early test for Mac Jones. Assuming that he gets the head position and starts right out of the gate, He's coming off some decent games last year. He had the hiccup in the Auburn game. Some of it was his fault. Some of it wasn't. You do now have Bryce Young on his heels waiting, five-star recruit that came in. Can you talk about what you think you're going to see this year, what Bama fans are going to see this year, what that's going to look like? If Mac plays well, does he keep the reins? If he gets shaky at all or even stumbles in this Georgia game if it's early and loses – Can you see Nick Saban going to a Bryce Young and just saying, all right, we're going in a new direction? Well, you mentioned the word lead, and everybody around the program has just been talking about how much Mac Jones is a leader. And really, in that locker room, it was a very tough locker room to be in last year in Starkville uh, after Alabama defeated Mississippi State. But you knew the news that Tua Tungavailoa was lost for the year. In that postgame locker room, and I got to be in there with my uh, postgame duties for the Crimson Tide Sports Network, the guys kind of rallied around Mac, and he was somebody that would kind of go up to Anaji Harris, who was having a tough moment with his one of his best friends, Tua Tungavailoa, being lost for the year. And at that point, Tua's NFL future looked really cloudy at the moment, too. I mean, it was a significant injury he was having to come back from. But Mac Jones started stepping up as a leader, and I think people saw that through the next week, Western Carolina. And then you mentioned the hiccups against Auburn. I think that was a tremendous learning experience for him, and he still was able to put up over 40 points in that game, leading that Crimson Tide offense, and then to have the bowl game like he did in the Citrus Bowl against Michigan, one of the better Big Ten defenses last year, I think really spoke to what he can do. Now it's time to see what he can do without Jerry Judy and without Henry Ruggs III. He's still got some talented wide receivers around him, and we'll get to those guys coming up in a little bit especially Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle, But uh, he showed he can run the offense. And I think the best thing for him is that Steve Sarkeesian is still the offensive coordinator. And Sarkeesian has a great track record with quarterbacks, all going back to his days as a coordinator at USC to even being the head coach at Washington and then Southern Cal and even some work in the NFL with the Atlanta Falcons. So uh, to have more time around Steve Sarkeesian is big for this Crimson Tide team. And they're finally not having to change offensive coordinators from one offseason to the next. That was always something that I know was tough for Tua Tungavailoa was things were constantly changing for him. Same could be said for Jalen Hurts uh, when he was playing for the Crimson Tide as well. So again, Mac Jones is a talented guy that you know has the support of this football team. I think there's been a lot of buzz about what he was able to do in the offseason workouts uh, during the toughest time of the year in January and February with strength and conditioning. He was stepping up then and he's just been a vocal leader all throughout this quarantine process uh, making sure that he's staying in touch with his wide receivers and that they've organized a lot of workouts so they could stay just as sharp as they normally would. So that's really good to see from Mac Jones. When it comes to Bryce Young, I mean he's a dynamic player. His high school film 
really shines. And most comparisons have him like a Kyler Murray. And a Kyler Murray-type quarterback can really shine in a Nick Saban and Steve Sarkeesian offense. I think they showed that with Tua, that they can be dynamic and they can make some changes. And, uh, you know, I could be seeing with Bryce Young, he could be the best running quarterback Alabama's had in the Nick Saban era. So there's a lot of excitement there. I do believe the Crimson Tide will work on some packages to feature in even some of the big games that maybe Mac Jones is starting. There could be a package. There could be a series here or there where Bryce Young comes in just to change it up. And that's not a knock on Mac Jones at all. It's just trying to give Alabama the best chance to win. Uh, But I really believe Mac will enter this season, of course, with the starting job. And he's going to have to really play poorly and even more poorly than we saw last year for, I think, for him to lose it just yet. I think it was really tough to lose the spring practice for Bryce Young. I think if he had had all those workouts and then kind of a normal summer, he may have been able to challenge a little bit more early in the season. But he's going to get to play because, let's be honest, no matter what Alabama's SEC-only schedule looks like, there will still be a lot of those blowout-type games, especially against the Ole Miss teams, Arkansas, Mississippi State. He's going to get to play in a lot of games like that. So it's a fascinating quarterback room, and it's great, again, that Alabama has the continuity of Steve Sarkeesian once again getting to lead this offense and allow Alabama to really shine. Yeah, I definitely think the quarterback situation at Alabama is fascinating. And it's really interesting that you said that Mac Jones kind of has the the early lead here going into it. With all that talent, though, like you said with Bryce, I think it's just a matter of time, like you said, before he gets on the field to some degree. So, yeah, that is going to be really fascinating to watch, especially early on in the year. But if you look at the Crimson Tide, they have a really special player in the backfield, and that's Najee Harris. Alabama, like you just spoke about, is going to have very little, if any, experience at quarterback this year. So do you expect Nick Saban to lean more on that running game, especially early in the year? And if so, could a multi-purpose talent like Harris become a front runner for the Heisman, knowing that the last two running backs to win the award came from Alabama? Yeah, I could really see that because they are going to give Najee the majority of the carries, and that was the case for Derrick Henry when he won the Heisman back in 2015, and the same could be said for Mark Ingram back in 2009, even though they had Trent Richardson kind of emerge during that season as well, but uh, Najee's the guy heading into this season. I think it was a big boost to this football team when he decided to stay. There was some thought with Tua going to the NFL, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, you know, Najee was kind of in that same boat, but when you looked at the talented running backs that were already in the 2020 NFL draft class, I think he made a really good decision, and it's just going to be fun to see him be, again, the featured back really two years in a row. That doesn't happen too often in this Alabama offense, so we kind of saw it with Damian Harris for a few years, but Najee's a more dynamic playmaker than him, and the run against South Carolina, where he's able to hurdle a guy and just kind of pause in midair and then keep going by the game Gamecocks. That's still one of the most impressive football plays that I've ever seen. And even talking with Coach Saban after the game, that's one of the best plays he's ever seen. So you know that he's going to be anxious to continue getting Najee the ball. And Alabama's got really good depth behind him this year. Once again, Brian Robinson comes back and local product in Tuscaloosa from Hillcrest High School. That's always been a really dependable back for the Crimson Tide. He'll be able to spell Najee some. And then there's a five-star recruit, Trey Sanders, who lost last year with a knee injury. But I mean, he was going to be challenging Najee for carries last year. Had to miss the entire season, but Trey Sanders is the guy to watch because I think he's going to get the second most reps behind Najee Harris, and if he can 
get open in the open field, just look out because he can turn on the afterburners and just go and blitz right by these defensive backs in the SEC, which is really saying something. So uh, I'm thrilled for what Alabama has in that running backs room heading into this year. Najee is certainly going to lead the way, and I think Alabama will lean on him some uh, with Mac Jones and Bryce Young, whatever shakes out in the quarterback competition. I think Alabama will lean on him some, but still, he is going to be dynamic, not just in the running game, but he was really good when he would come out of the backfield and catch some passes last year. So he's going to be really dangerous on some screens. He's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Roger, that was a phenomenal answer. And PGF Nation, trust me, we did not plan this. We talked through with the people that we bring on and we have questions, but I think I may need to Venmo you $20, Roger, because that leads right into my next question on the PGF Instagram account, posted a thing that talked about the top 10 backfields in college football for 2020. Clemson was ranked number one and Alabama was number two. OSU was number three. We had Scott Wright earlier talking about Chuba Hubbard. And so I came on and spoke about Alabama had Najee Harris, but I didn't know about the rest of the backfield. So this is kind of going to lead into a mailbag type question. And I talked about OSU maybe being the number two. And Nathan Hamblin spoke specifically about that and said, Bama's now got Trey Sanders in the backfield, who was a five-star. You got Najee Harris, best in class, and they have the two other four stars. So I'm going to change it up even more and go, do you think based on just that and not knowing enough about Clemson's depth at running back, could Alabama actually arguably have the best running back class in 2020 if everyone stays healthy? I really think so, Chad, and especially with not only Najee getting the bulk of the carries, but we know we're going to see some Trey Sanders, and we know Brian Robinson is really effective as well. Uh, There's another young guy, another guy named Robinson that was really good last year, and that's Keelan Robinson, who I got to play in some fourth quarter situations. I think kind of looking next year, it'll be mostly Trey Sanders along with Keelan Robinson. It'll be Alabama's big backs for the 2021 season. But yeah, the depth is incredible, and when Alabama needs five yards, they're going to get five yards now, especially with Najee in the game. But uh, like I mentioned, Trey Sanders, there's just so many unknowns about what he can do at the college level. And it's mostly positive unknowns. I mean, Alabama's coaching staff really raved about him. And uh, this was a Crimson Tide team last year that was just devastated by injuries. And he was one of the injuries that really devastated this team, just knowing they were going to have to work Harris so much more. So maybe we'll see some fresher legs and all these guys really all throughout four quarters of a football game. And there's not an SEC defensive of line that wants to see that coming up this fall. Yeah, I think the running back room sounds really impressive. And we talked about how Najee Harris could be a Heisman contender, but I think Alabama's best NFL prospect is actually wide receiver Jalen Waddell, a guy you spoke about briefly earlier on. Now, he only caught 33 passes last season, but that was mostly due to playing alongside two first-round picks in Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs. He's an explosive player. He averaged 17 yards per catch. He had a four-touchdown game versus Auburn, including an electric 98-yard kickoff return. I expect a breakout year for him, but tell our listeners what we should expect from Jalen Waddle this year. Speed, and he's only getting faster. 
that's the scary thing with Jalen Waddle based off what we saw last year. I mean, he's only getting faster. Alabama's got a new strength and conditioning staff with David Ballou and Dr. Matt Ray coming in from Indiana University. And those guys really specialize in speed more than strength. So Jalen Waddle, from everything I've heard, is just getting faster and faster. And that's not only going to help him in the return game, where I think he's the best kick returner in the nation, not just the SEC. But now he gets to be featured a little bit more at wide receiver. And he's going to get targeted a lot more now that Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs III are no longer there. Uh, Waddle is going to be the guy that you're going to have the home run play with. I mean, he is just going to outrun the defensive backs and he's going to be wide open. And there's a good comfort already with Jalen Waddle and Mac Jones because you got to consider when Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs III, when they be playing with Tua and say Alabama is blowing out Ole Miss or Mississippi State, Arkansas, teams like that, later in the game, Mac Jones would come in and Jalen Waddell would still play. So those guys are used to connecting on big touchdown plays. And I think that's going to be really a key that allows Mac Jones to have success, knowing already that he's so comfortable with Jalen Waddle. So uh, I think you're going to see just more and more speed from him. Devontae Smith is also going to be Mr. Dependable. That's the other great thing that Alabama has is that they've got such a good one-two punch in that receiving room. And Waddle, again, he's getting faster. And that should scare everybody in the SEC. Yeah, I think Waddle, unless he's too overly priced, and DK is going to be a plug-and-play on most Saturdays when people are doing their daily lineups. Talked about the Mac Jones situation. He came in for Tua last year. We talked about Bryce Young and the impact there. I want to kind of dive back into that quarterback situation and just look at the complexities around Tua got hurt. We we know what went down with Tua. He's at Miami now. But his brother Tua was there. He came in with a lot of fanfare. Tua was there. The family was in Birmingham. You've got this Mac Jones situation now. You've got this Bryce Young, five-star. This is kind of the Nick Saban era moving to quarterbacks where before Tua, they really didn't have any five-star quarterbacks. They just had game managers. Talk a little bit about Tua. Talk about your time covering him, what it was like. Talk about the, the play where the injury happened. I know Saban had said he was one series away from bringing him out, but then also talk about Tolua and talk about him deciding to leave and go to Maryland. Is there more to it that we don't know about that may not be in the public eye and newspapers? Is it because he felt the Bryce Young pressure? Because there really wasn't a lot that was discussed about it. He's just at Maryland now and that's all pretty much anybody knows. Yeah, I'll start with Talia, and he transferred to Maryland mainly because the family had such a good relationship with Mike Loxley, who's now the head coach of the Maryland Terrapins, and he was on Alabama staff. He was the offensive coordinator when Tua really had his best season and was healthy all throughout the 2018 season, was the runner-up for the Heisman Trophy. And, you know, Mike was also involved in the recruitment of Talia to Alabama, so that was the whole key with Maryland. I think a lot of people said, well, the family just kind of moves together because, you know, they moved from Hawaii to the Alabama area uh, when Tua agreed to play for the Crimson Tide. And then, like you mentioned, the Birmingham area, Talia was a standout in high school around there and then followed Tua, you could say, to Alabama to play. And he got some really valuable experience. And he got valuable experience in some SEC games as well. You know, after Mac Jones would be done, if it was a big enough blowout, you would see Talia get some experience and get some reps. Uh, But again, he was just looking. I think he knew the quarterback situation in Alabama, especially for this year, was going to be so much of a competition between Mac and Bryce Young. 
there's some other talented guys in that room as well, like Paul Tyson. So I think he just kind of saw the numbers game maybe not working out as well. And maybe he thought it was just time for a fresh start. So he gets to go to Maryland where, again, he knows Mike Loxley. He recruited him and the family and Mike Loxley have just such a good relationship uh, based on how great of a coach Mike was for Tua at Alabama. So now he gets to go to Maryland where I think he'll challenge for a starting job. I think Phil Steele had him as a second teamer, but I'm excited for him that he gets this fresh opportunity at Maryland because he's a great kid just like Tua is. That whole family is incredible. They are very much based in their faith. They were very involved with the Church of the Highlands around Tuscaloosa and Birmingham, and uh, they really walk the walk. And that's why I think you saw so much praise for Tua Tungavailoa in the national championship game with the way he came in for Jalen, but was such a good teammate to Jalen. And Jalen Hurts was a great teammate towards Tua and sharing in his success. And then they were able to coexist for that remarkable 2018 season when really Alabama was the best team all throughout the year, right up until the final game when Clemson won the national championship game against them. Um, but you talk about leadership, Tua Tungavailoa had that from the moment he stepped on campus at the University of Alabama. He was somebody that always carried himself with high character, relished the spotlight. You know, he didn't shy away from the interviews or the autograph request or, you know, spending some time just with kids at the football camp. He, he loved every single bit of it. So he was a special guy to be around. It was special to see, you know, the offense the last couple of years when it was really his. It was special to see him shine in that offense. And I think, you know, if Lane Kiffin stayed after a few years, because uh, Lane was really involved in the recruiting of Tua to Alabama, it would have been so much fun to see him in that offense with Lane. But he had a terrific run at Alabama. And even with all the injuries kind of limiting his playing time, he remains one of the most prolific quarterbacks in Alabama history. And that's with only playing usually three quarters of a game in most SEC games. I mean, it was rare that he was in games where Alabama was behind in the fourth quarter. I mean, he would just help the Crimson Tide put it out of reach early. So uh, really special to be around him. All my interviews with him, he was outstanding. And he you always were proud of him when it came to representing the Alabama family and representing this program. He just did it in such a positive way. And I've heard that same thing about Talia. I didn't get to know him as well, but certainly wish him all the best at Maryland. And I think, again, it was just the relationship with their new head coach, Mike Loxley. He wanted to go somewhere with someone he was comfortable with. Yeah, Roger. So we've discussed some of the playmakers for the Crimson Tide, but we know the game is really won and lost in the trenches. And Alabama recruits the big boys with the very best of them in college football. Offensive tackle Jedrick Wills moves on to the NFL, but the offensive line returns senior left tackle Alex Leatherwood and center Landon Dickerson. Now we know Wills was a special player, but how good can this group be with so much experience returning this season? I think it's the best in the country. And that's not really, you know, me, Roger Hoover, the Crimson Tide Sports Network saying that. That's what I've heard from Cole Kubelik from the SEC Network. He's got Alabama ranked as the best offensive line. College football expert Phil Steele, when I've interviewed him for the network, he continues to say that Alabama's got not only the SEC's, but the nation's best offensive line. I mean, they just have talent all over the place. And it starts with the man you you mentioned, Alex Leatherwood at left tackle. I think he's one of the best in the game. I think he's a first round pick, no doubt. But the other thing about him is he's really a leader on this football team. And, you know, student athletes are changing right now in college football. We're seeing that with what's happening in the Pac-12 with students using their voice on social media to really enact some change. And Alex Leatherwood has led the way for Alabama in that regard because he penned a 
powerful essay that was turned into a video about Black Lives Matter that was released by the Alabama football team. And it not only was his voice talking all throughout that video, but it was all of his teammates. You know, Mac Jones was in there. Jalen Waddell was in there. Dylan Moses, all these team leaders. And then Coach Saban. That all came from Alex Leatherwood. So it's a guy that's using his platform for good and great change. And I think that speaks to not only his character, but also what his teammates feel about him is that they were willing to help him out and get his message out on the on the official Alabama football Twitter account, Instagram, and Facebook. So he's a leader at left tackle. There's just talent all over the place. You know, they have some other playmakers like Landon Dickerson. I know you mentioned uh, Carl Tucker is one of the good tight ends that'll help with some of the blocking, but Deontay Brown, a left guard all over the place. There's really talent on this offensive line. They're kind of interchangeable and, you know, for Jedrick Wills to be as good as he was, we get Alabama not missing a beat with Alex Leatherwood, I think says a lot. I think Alabama is going to be able to get that push. It really needs not only to give Najee Harris, Trey Sanders, their avenues to run, but they're going to give Mac Jones time. And that's another reason why I feel comfortable about Mac Jones being the starting quarterback to begin the year. That's great information, Roger. And it was so interesting. You were just talking about Tua and I apologize for incorrectly stating his younger brother's name. I just didn't spell it correctly and look to see what it was phonetically. So my bad, but the LSU Alabama game last year, you and I talked about that. And I want to go back because you made a great point. There were so many times in 2018 and even 2019 where Tua was out by middle into the third quarter. He just didn't need to be in and take the chance of getting hurt. But then in that Mississippi State game, he did get hurt. So that was so ironic. But take us back to that LSU Alabama game last year. I mean, the winner of that game basically had a cakewalk into the SEC championship and really probably a slot in the CFP semifinals. President Trump was there. It was Burrow. It was Tua. It was Edward Geron. It was Saban. It was all the hype. So kind of take our listeners back to that game last year, what that was like, what the hype was like. Game day was there. Kind of walk us through that. Yeah, it was exciting. It was unlike any week I've ever seen in Tuscaloosa, and I've been there the last four years. Um, it was just something, you know, kind of usually on a Thursday night, you can start to feel the traffic starting to pick up a little bit in town or around campus or downtown Tuscaloosa, which is just right next to Bryant-Denny Stadium. But there was a buzz, like a Tuesday night. It would take me about, you know, 15, 20 minutes for what should have been just a five-minute drive down the road. I mean, it was something. Uh, like you mentioned, College Game Day was there, SEC Nation. I remember I had a volleyball game to announce on the SEC Network the night before at Historic Foster Auditorium, and I almost felt like just trying to find a way into Bryant-Denny Stadium that night because it, we knew it was going to be a quick turnaround to get there early in the morning uh, with all the security, but uh, it was something. And, you know, I host uh, the first Alabama football on the radio. We have about a three-hour pregame show that we have each and every week on the Crimson Tide Sports Network, and I get to host the first two hours of that. Normally, inside the stadium, it's pretty empty during that time. But that was not the case for this game because they open the gates early and allow everybody plenty of time to get through the Secret Service uh, screening that you have to do when the president goes to a game. So, you know, three hours before kickoff, right as I'm signing on the air along with Eli Gold, the voice of the tide, there was a buzz in the stadium. And that's typically never the case at like 11 in the morning when we came on that day. 
Uh, so it just kept building all throughout. And, you know, even the pregame warmups had a different intensity, a different juice to it. The student section completely full. And right now at big programs like Alabama or smaller schools, they're having a tough time making sure students go early and kind of stay for the whole four quarters. Not the case that day. Everybody was thrilled to be there. And I'm glad that CBS was able to keep it as a 2.30 kickoff uh, local time because it was just such a gorgeous day. It was not too cold. It was perfect football weather. And, you know, all football fans know that kind of crisp feeling in the air when it's like, yeah, this is our weather that we play in. Uh, That's what we had that day in Tuscaloosa. So an amazing scene, two old rivals with plenty of history. And Alabama, just if they could have scored on that first drive, I think the whole game would have been different. But you knew in a game like that that just one or two mistakes on offense. And it's, you know, kind of early had that feel that Alabama was always having to play a little bit of catch up. And I made it really interesting at the end when I think a lot of people were already feeling like, okay, LSU's got it. But for Alabama to make it a one-score game and ultimately fall 46-41, to I think says a lot about this Crimson Tide football team. And it was a matchup of Titans, like you talked about, Joe Burrow against Tua Tungavailoa. And basically, not only the winner of that game has a chance to win the SEC and then the national championship. I think the winner of that game was going to win the Heisman Trophy between Tua and Joe Burrow. Obviously, we couldn't have foreseen what would happen the next week with the injury for Tua against Mississippi State, but uh, it was quite a ball game. So, Roger, Nick Saban has done an amazing job at bringing in big-time recruits since he's been at Alabama, but this year's class has recently skyrocketed towards being the best in the nation after landing the top-rated offensive tackle Tommy Brockermeyer and the number one rated defensive tackle Damon Payne plus six of Alabama's 16 recruits in this class play in the front seven you have a front row seat to this program tell us about this class of players for Alabama It's impressive, and it's a sign, again, that Nick Saban is not slowing down, no matter what some of his critics may say out there. I mean, he is going just as hard at recruiting as he ever has, you know, even just as hard as he did in the early days of his tenure at Alabama trying to build this program up. Uh, I think it's a straight-up coup that he was able to get Tommy Brockermeyer and his twin brother to come to Alabama. I mean, those guys are royalty at the University of Texas with what their family has meant to the Longhorns program over the years. So to get those guys, I think, says a lot. And then Damon pain you're basically getting him right from under Michigan's nose so it's kind of a shot at Jim Harbaugh like how can you not keep that guy in the state of Michigan so it's interesting what's been happening with Alabama recruiting after the Tide kind of had their typical you know late winter early spring slow start all of that happens around the coronavirus shutdown and people are really wondering how is Alabama going to adapt to not being able to have all of the on-campus visits you would have at that time of the year? And then for Coach Saban, one of his biggest things is the camps. He loves the camps and bringing these talented players to Tuscaloosa and really seeing with his own eyes whether or not they can match and fit in his system. But again, it shows that Nick Saban can adapt. He's that kind of leader, and he's a very thorough recruiter. When he offers a scholarship, he has seen every play that that player has played in a high school football game. I think he's one of the only college coaches that can say that. If any others say that, they're probably lying because they don't spend the time that he does really making sure that they evaluate players like he does. So uh, he continues to really do a great job on the recruiting trail for the Crimson Tide, and it's another sign that he is not slowing down. And even with all the odd things that would distract him or would take him away from recruiting at a high level, he's still able to do it. 
Yeah, he's one of the greatest ever, Roger. And you mentioned earlier the Auburn-Alabama game and the Iron Bowl coming off of the loss in that LSU game. And it was, I think, the greatest game of the year besides the semifinal game with Clemson and Ohio State. But Brad and I were talking earlier this week, prepping for this, and Alabama was still relevant because, in my mind, a 12-1 SEC team, even if you don't win your division and you don't go to the SEC championship and win the SEC championship, you're still there. I mean, and if Alabama beats Auburn, I think at 12-1, and they would have had an argument, even with Oklahoma winning the Big 12, to say, we deserve to be in the CFP semifinals. But talk about this year. Talk about 2020. Zach Barnett, we had him on a couple weeks ago, college football beat writer. And he was talking about how Alabama and LSU, they both lost a ton of weapons. But schools like that reload. You just talked about the recruiting class. Auburn, though, this year, they've got a chance to be an up-and-coming team out of that West. Kind of talk about what you see this year when you look at Alabama's schedule. You look at the end of that year. They've got Auburn in that game. They've got LSU on the road. How do you see this SEC West this year playing out? You've got three phenomenal teams that are going to be beating the living crap out of each other. And it's a lot of it's going to take place at the end of that year, assuming we get there. So kind of walk us through what you think you see happening with all three of those schools, but specifically Alabama. Can they emerge out of this and get back to where they've normally been, which is the SEC championship and the college playoffs? Well, Chad, it's what really makes college football so fun, and it makes rivalry so fun. I think Alabama would be a touchdown or maybe 10-point favorite against LSU this year if the game was in Tuscaloosa, but it's in Baton Rouge, and crazy things can happen. I'm sure it'll be a night game at Tiger Stadium, and we've all seen that script before, and it's been a good script in many years for LSU. Now, Alabama's been able to come out on top recently there, but uh, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens with LSU just based on all they have to return this year. You know they've still got some speed. You still have a lot of dynamic playmakers they can throw in, and uh, Steve Ensinger, the offensive coordinator, I think probably doesn't get enough credit for what he did with the offense last year. He was still calling the plays, even even though uh, Brady, of course, was the passing game coordinator and got most of the press around Joe Burrow. But uh, LSU kind of brings everybody back that they need to uh, in terms of talents. Now, they haven't played, but they still have talent across the board. So I think LSU is going to be fascinating. I could probably see some letdown for them just a little bit this year based off what they did last year. Um, in terms of just not, I think they'll be sharp against Alabama, but maybe games against like Auburn, Texas A&M, it may show a little bit more. So that's why LSU, I am not quite sure we'll challenge Alabama for the division title this year as much. Uh, you mentioned the Auburn Tigers. I think they have plenty of talent there as well especially with Bo Nix. But question with him is, you know, it's his sophomore year, and can he get a little bit more consistent? He had some really good moments against Alabama. He had some really good moments in the season opener against Oregon, but at times is really frustrating in some losses to Florida Gators, the LSU Tigers, the Georgia Bulldogs. So he's got to find some consistency. Auburn will have a really good defense. And then I think the real X factor is Texas A&M. Phil Steele has him as the number five team in his power pole entering this year. That's just two spots behind Alabama. They have a lot of returners in terms of 17 starters coming back from last year, and they have really the SEC's best quarterback on paper entering this year in Kellen Mond. He's certainly the most experienced, and you know he's been able to go to Tuscaloosa before. He's been to Baton Rouge. He knows what it's like in this league. So I think Texas A&M is going to be the team that's really going to make it interesting. I still expect Alabama to win the SEC West, but uh, their game in Tuscaloosa against Texas A&M, I think this year will probably be what the LSU game was like last year. 
year, especially if A&M is able to get wins against Auburn. I think they have to go to Auburn, so that's certainly going to be tough. But uh, again, don't sleep on Texas A&M. I think that is going to be the team to watch in terms of challenging Alabama this year. So, Roger, no one is going to pretend that the Crimson Tide didn't lose a lot of talent on the defensive side of the ball. But I think the defense is going to be really nasty this year, especially because preseason All-Americans Dylan Moses returns after missing last year with an ACL tear and cornerback Patrick Sertain. Talk about this defense and who are some of the guys that we should be watching for? Well, it starts with Dylan Moses. I mean, he is going to play like a man possessed, getting a chance to get back on the field after having to be sidelined all of last year. You can honestly say, and he was injured the week leading up to Alabama's season opener against Duke. That was an injury that cost Alabama a chance to play for a national championship. Maybe not win, but at least the chance to play because I tell you, the LSU game would have been completely different had Dylan Moses been able to be healthy and be on that field for the Crimson Tide. The Auburn game would have been dramatically different if Moses was able to play in that game. So just that one player coming back is a huge boost for the defense. Um, Another great linebacker coming back is Josh McMillan. He would have been the starting will linebacker last year, and he was lost with injury too. I think that gets overshadowed a bit because Christian Harris, a true freshman, came in there and played really well for the Crimson Tide, stepping up in that lost role for McMillan. And Christian Harris will be the starter in that position, but now you get to rotate in Josh McMillan to give Harris some rest. That's going to be huge. And then the other guy that's going to be a huge difference maker, I think, is Shane Lee. He's the guy who had to step up the week of the Duke game and step into those shoes of the Mike linebacker Dylan Moses and it was kind of baptism at fire he had some really good games at times he had some really tough games and tough moments at times and most notably he had tough moments in the losses to LSU and Auburn but now he gets to come in and I think he's going to play really well in the role that Alabama will have designed for him you know it won't be as much of a drop-off when Moses is not in the field and Shane Lee's in the ball game so I really like what I'm seeing from the Crimson Tide in terms of the linebacking core the defensive line is young but they've got plenty of talent up front. When you look at Christian Barmore, DJ Dale, Brian Ray, and then Christopher Allen, uh, another one of the linebackers, but mainly those three, Barmore, Dale, and Ray are all talented and they're all really young. You got two sophomores and a junior in that group on the defensive line. So that's certainly good. The other big question mark is the defensive backs. Uh, The secondary outside of Patrick Sertan, uh, not too experienced because of all the guys they lost like Trayvon Diggs and Xavier McKinney last year off last year's ball club. But they are able to bring in some talented players that got some reps last year. Jordan Battle will be at strong safety. Jalen Armour Davis at free safety. And then DeMarco Helms will be at the other cornerback spot. So those that will be kind of a shaky area for Alabama, especially early in the season. But the thing you have to remember about Alabama's defensive backs is yes, they have their own position coach, but Nick Saban at his heart, in his heart, is a defensive backs coach, and he is the most involved with that group day in, day out of practice and designing the game plan. So uh, he's always done a pretty good job of when he's got a young group of defensive backs getting them better, and I think we'll see that coming up this year. Great information, Roger, and I think you're right. Dylan Moses, when you lose a player of that caliber for the whole year, it it can move the needle on your ability to win a championship. Obviously, the 2M injury had a major impact there as well, but we cannot thank you enough again for coming on PGF Nation and coming on Pint Glass Football Podcast and being with us and our listeners today. You've mentioned Nick Saban. Brad asked a question about Nick Saban, but I'm kind of picturing our listeners with the TikTok voiceovers where the little voice goes, what the hell? Like, why are they not asking about Nick Saban directly? Or no, no. Like, I mean, the questions have been great. 
But this really is about Nick Saban. This really is about Alabama football. You have two legendary coaches that have been there. Bear Bryant's one. I will always remember the Bum Phillips quote where he said, Bear Bryant can take his team and beat yours, but he can take your team and beat his. But Nick Saban, he has carved out something. Yes, you can go all the way back to Michigan State, LSU, went to the Dolphins, but his legacy is Bama football. So we are going to close with you getting to tell us anything and everything about Nick Saban, what it's like to be in the locker room with him, what it was like. You've gotten a chance to interview him a couple of times. What is he like on and off the field? And so just kind of wrap it all up, telling us your thoughts about Saban, what it's like to be there with Alabama, his legacy, and just close it out with anything you want to tell all of our listeners and Brad and I about Nick Saban. Well, he's just remarkably driven to win. And I don't think there's any been anybody like him because – once people get success, it's just natural to you know, pull back on the throttle a little bit and kind of relish the moments of success and glory. I think we've seen that throughout sports. We've seen that in politics, business, you know, entertainment. We've seen that all over the place. You know, I think the best image of the Nick Saban era at Alabama is when the Crimson Tide win the national championship in 2009 and they're at the Rose Bowl and he gets hit by the Gatorade bath and he looks mad about it. Like he's like, he's still focused on the game and he's didn't even seem that night just, and I wasn't part of the program then, but just kind of watching on television that night, it's like, it doesn't seem like he's enjoying it this much. And later hearing from people around the program, he was just so focused on the recruiting he had to do coming up, you know, the next day. And even maybe that night, maybe he was making some phone calls and recruiting. And it's like, you, know, you brought old power like Alabama that had not won a national title since 92. And they had only had one in the last, you know, 20 or something years before that. You bring a program like that back to prominence, you would think you'd be able to really celebrate that and kind of take it easy for a little bit. He doesn't. And that has been the theme over and over again over the years as he's collected five national championships at Alabama and now it's uh, six national championships that he's had in his career if you count the one that he had at LSU. I think there's a standard of football in his mind that he is always working towards. There's a way he wants his game film to look like and I think he's gotten very, very close to having everything come together exactly like he wants. Now, it's never going to happen, but he is going to pursue that perfection harder and with more focus than anybody else. And that's why the process works. That's why the main things you see when you walk in Alabama's uh, gorgeous facility on campus in Tuscaloosa it talks about the process. And it says in the huge, bold letters as the guys leave the locker room. Do your job. Everybody is focused on what's right in front of them. They're not worried about the scoreboard. They're just worried about process of that day's practice, that day's drill, the next play. It's all about those little details, and he is never tired. I think a lot of college football coaches do tire of that, and that's why you can't, you won't see programs sustain success for 10, 15 years, sometimes with the same head coach. They may win a national championship early in their tenure, and they're able to do the build, but they're not able to do the work after the glory to sustain and win more championships. I think that's why he's been so far ahead of the pack in terms of college football coaches right now. He's just got a different standard that he continues to work to, not only on the field, but in recruiting. He loves recruiting. You know, it's just something that he'll never tire of. And you hear that, too, about coaches that get older. You know, well, maybe they're not making as many phone calls or watching as much film. That'll never be Nick Saban. I mean, he's always going to work towards that standard. And he's just always hungry for more. And I think that's just because he allows himself to stay in the process. And, you know, he doesn't do many interviews where he's talking about his 
classic teams that have won national championships I mean, because that's not going to help him win another national championship. It may be fun for fans to really relish the memories and things like that. But, you know, he set the standard pretty early on in his days in Tuscaloosa. I, I look back to the 2008 season, Alabama blows out Clemson to begin the year, a Clemson team that was expected to win the ACC and challenge for a national championship. Alabama was in year two of the Saban era. They, you know, a lot was expected, but kind of maybe them to contend in the SEC West. That was kind of the best hope they had, maybe being in the conversation heading to the Iron Bowl. And Alabama just blows out Clemson, a team that had a lot of NFL players on the field. Alabama was clearly better, and they were doing it with a lot of freshmen and young playmakers, first-time starters. And even in the post-game press conference that day, you could tell he wasn't reveling in the success that Alabama just had, and he even kind of called out the fan base and said, you know, it's going to be important for us to play just as well next week and really forget about this game. And he's like, we don't do a good enough job at that here. And I think that comments kind of took Alabama fans out of the mindset of, you know, Bear Bryant did this, Bear Bryant did that, you know, oh, the bear would have done this better. That ended right there because he said, look, we're having a different standard and we've got to have very short term memory despite the glorious history that we have. So everything I've seen from there, just he continues to work towards that standard of football that I don't think he will ever get in his mind, he'll never reach it. Very similar to one of his close friends, Bill Belichick, who's won more Super Bowls than anybody. You know, those guys are wired the exact same way. Football is something they love and something they are always aspiring to improve on, and they just don't get caught up in the minutia of their accomplishments when it would be so easy to because they have more than anybody else. But, you know, and even being around him, you mentioned I've gotten to interview him a few times. He's very businesslike. You know, he likes, he will do what he's required to do, like coming on the radio after the game, talking with, you know, a young punk like me uh, for about five minutes or so. He'll do it and move on. You know, there, there's not a lot of small talk. There's not anything like that because that takes him away from the process in doing his job. And that's at the bedrock of the foundation of the program, not just for his players, but for him as well. So that's how he carries himself. And that's why he is so good. That is why he recruits so well at an, even, you know, getting later in age like he is. And, and whenever he is done, he will be able to look back and enjoy all the things that he should be able to enjoy with all these championships, players going to the NFL. But he's not going to do that until he finally hands over that whistle. And hopefully for Alabama, sake that's going to be a long time from now well roger we really appreciate it today just an awesome interview with you and giving all of our listeners a peek behind the curtain of alabama football a team that is certainly going to be in the mix again this year and that is going to do it for today's episode special thanks again to roger hoover of the crimson tide sports network hope you guys enjoyed it pgf nation and we will catch you next time thanks for listening to the pint glass football podcast be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.